some questions about are we using the law? Uh, and uh, but but this I was I was studying this concept. I was studying the the law of the Old Testament and some other expressions that are used in the New Testament. Then, such as the law of Christ and the law of liberty, which we'll look at here in a moment. And as I was studying through those things, right about that time, uh, just a, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I got an email or a message of some kind from my son, Chris, and um, he he said he was out going somewhere with his oldest son, our five-year-old grandson, Alexander Isaac Newton. And um, <laughs> Alexander is a precocious little child, and so he, he has learned a few things about the rules of the road. And his father pulled up to a, a red light, stopped, as he ought to do, and then made a right turn while it was still red. And this sort of blew his mind, okay? Alex had a little trouble with that concept. He said, Daddy... Red means stop. And Chris says, yes, son, it does. But there's a, there's a law that says that I can stop at a red light and then make a right turn if there's no traffic coming and everything's okay. I, but I don't have to wait for it to turn green. So they drove down the road a little ways and the same situation arrived. He stops at another red light. He's in the right-hand lane. He has his right turn signal on. And Alex, you know how children form things and they don't completely have all the, 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 the sentence structure that we may understand within them. And as, as Chris began to pull out and make the right turn, he said, Daddy, are you using the law? <laughs> now, we, we understand that the law there uh, did a couple of things. The law limited what Chris could legally do. And it also gave him a certain amount of liberty to do something. Is that not true? He, he was obliged by the law to stop, check for traffic before he proceeded with his right turn. But the law also gave him the liberty to go ahead and make a right turn even though the light is red, Daddy. Okay, Those two things were both true. And as we look at the law of God, as we look at, at, at uh, the law in the Bible, we find those things to be also consistent with what we read, do we not? We know, it says in 1 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Now that, that might even sound like doublespeak to us, but really it's kind of profound in its simplicity, isn't it? The law is good if, <laughs> all right, the law is good as long as it is applied and used lawfully, used according to the rules. We also had the, the uh, Alexander and his little uh, brother, the cannonball, I call him, uh, Benjamin Ethan Newton. He's, only, he's turning three, and the boy is a barut. I don't know where he got it from. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, they, they both got their intelligence and their good looks from me because my wife still has both of those things of hers. So they, they took them from me. Um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, they, they came and Benjamin and um, Alexander were sitting around playing a game with Chris and with Barb last night around the, t- the kitchen table. And games have rules. <laughs> games have laws, if you will. And... Uh, do you ever get frustrated by laws or by rules? Of course you do. And imagine being three or five years old. You really do. Um, they were playing a game called Cootie. Some of you know the game. It's a silly little game, but there's one of those things that happens in a lot of games. You have to roll this stupid cube. 
you know, and you have to get a certain number. I think it's a one. I didn't play. <laughs> Not much of a game player. But anyway, where are they? Yeah, just forget it. I play, okay, sometimes. We've played some games with some people, but it's just not usually my thing, all right? And Cootie did not call to me at all. So, so the others are there around the table playing Cootie, and you have to, I'm pretty sure it's a one that you have to roll. You have to roll a one in order to get the first thing going in the game, and it's, a, it's the body of this bug, whatever it is. And uh, you can't do anything until you get the one. I mean, you can't, uh, unless you want to cheat. <laughs> well... Um, Benjamin wanted to cheat. He was like, no, I'm taking the body. <laughs> and we're like, no, there are rules. <laughs> there are... And I turned to Alex and I said, what did you tell your daddy about the stop sign? He said, you have to use the law. I was like, that's right. So we got that straightened out. The game has rules. You have to play by the rules. And that's just the way it is. If you use the law you, lawfully, if you use it according to its intended purpose, the Bible tells us, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us it's a good thing. All right? We're also we're just going to touch on this and then we're going to move forward because, honestly, when I get to this verse, I'm treading on dangerous ground. And you might think, oh, he's afraid of getting into heavy doctrine or something here. That's not the issue. The issue is that Pastor Burgraff is soon going to be preaching from Romans chapter 7 in his series on God Forbid. And that series, when he gets to Romans chapter 7, is going to have a lot to do with grace and law and how they fit together. And I do not want to step on what he's going to say. He gets cranky about that. So I'm going to try to just kind of come right up to the line, okay, and not not infringe upon the teaching that he's going to do. So if this seems a little superficial, that's the reason, all right? You're going to get the rest of the story very soon from, from the horse's mouth, as it were. All right, so this verse tells us, though, in Galatians chapter 3, these two verses, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. All right, just a few things, a few ideas about this first, just to kind of set the table here. Um, The schoolmaster idea is a complicated one here because there's not a really good English word from the Greek word that would make a lot of sense to the common listener. The word that's used here for schoolmaster is is a form of the Greek that comes out to kind of like pedagogue. And I'm, a lot of you probably have heard the word pedagogue, and some of you may know exactly what it means. A lot of you probably do. But some people don't talk in those kinds of terms, and I understand that. And I'm pretty sure that's why the translators, I've not found a translation yet that uses the word pedagogue. But anyway, it usually is either a schoolmaster or a tutor, something like that. And those ideas get us close to what we're talking about here. But it's a little more complicated for us than that culturally. Because in the day that this was written, a family who had children would generally, if they were well-to-do, they would have a slave who was called their pedagogue. And this person would not really be the teacher as we might think of as a schoolmaster. But this person would typically guide the child around the home. And then one of their major functions was to get them to someone who was going to teach them in a particular area. So they were in charge of this child. They had the charge of this child, the care of this child. And they were to bring them along to the place where they could learn what they needed to learn. And so, see, it's a little bit... Hard for us to get that just from the term schoolmaster or even tutor, although all those things are mixed in there together. So the, so the Bible tells us in Galatians that the law 
we're going to talk about what law we're talking about in just a moment, was a schoolmaster, was that pedagogue, was that slave, if you will. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig down deep into that either, but you think about that. You think about the law as a slave, just plug that in there, and you, you chew on that one at home on your own, all right? It's a very interesting concept. It was this pedagogue to bring us to Christ. Now, a lot of times we talk about this verse in the sense of Israel. And there is a sense in which it makes good sense to talk about Israel here, that Israel had the law, okay? Had the law of Moses, had the law of God, whichever way you want to place it. And that brought people the Israelites and eventually everyone else to an understanding of Christ. All right. And that is true. But there's a sense in this verse that goes beyond Israel. And I, and I know that for a number of reasons. For one reason, it's written to the church in Galatia. There were Jews almost certainly there. Was it predominantly a Jewish place? It was not. So the church itself also at this point was probably not predominantly Jewish in its nature. So this teaching went to a a church that would have had more of a Gentile, more more of a Greek sort of a, a nature to it, a feel to it. And then he says also this. He said, after that faith is come, we... You see what he said? We are no longer under a schoolmaster. He doesn't say Israel is no longer under a schoolmaster. Again, not to say that someone teaching this about Israel is wrong. There's absolutely an application there. But there's something more to this. This There's something that, that speaks to all of us. That whatever this law is, whatever it is, that is good if you use it lawfully, is something that should bring us to Christ that we might be justified or made righteous, all right, presented to God in a righteous way by what? By faith, all right? So all of these things come together in our experience as well. Are we talking about one law or two laws? We look at the Old Testament, we hear a lot about the law. We hear about the law of Moses, we hear a lot of codes and and do's and don'ts and lists of this and that and different things. Are we talking about the same thing when we get to the New Testament? We talk about this law. Are we talking about the Old Testament law? Are we talking about the New Testament, the idea that we've already read, the law of Christ, the law of liberty, these kinds of things? Uh, What are we talking about here? We also have here verses in Galatians, still in Galatians, but in chapter 6, we have this verse that you know very well, bear ye one another's burdens, we, we, we tend, I think, to kind of stop there, don't we? And, and it's a good teaching, and it's an important teaching that we ought to bear one another's burdens. But there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a fuller sense when you see that this says, So fulfill the law of Christ. So in other words, it's much more than just a good idea. It is, isn't it? It's much more than just a good suggestion. Here's a good way to live. Here's a good way to um, deal with each other within the body. Let's bear one another's burdens. Fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. But do you see how it's deeper? It is a command. It is an imperative. It is something that is so important that it is said to, whatever this means, bearing one another's burdens, is said to fulfill the law of Christ. That's a big deal. 
That's a big deal. We don't find this language very many places in the Bible that is so, 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 so much of an imperative, so much of a, of a command to us that the, the importance comes to such a depth as to fulfill. Can you imagine if you, if you were to try to come up with the different things that might fulfill the law of Christ? I mean, it's a heavy thing to think about the law of Christ, isn't it? I mean, when you think about whatever this is, it's pretty heavy. Well, this says bearing one another's burdens is the way you get there. <laughs> it's the way you fulfill it. It's the way you use the law. All right. If, if I may put it that way, the way you're going to use the law is to bear one another's burdens. Let's go on a little bit. We also have over in James chapter one, this idea, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word work, sorry, uh, this man should be blessed in his deed. Now, again, not to criticize anybody unless it's me because I've done it. <laughs> I have tended to many times kind of skip over uh, those words, the law of liberty, because the teaching is fantastic. The teaching is you've got to, you've got to stop and look into that which is perfect, which I mean, we, we always get there, you know, and you've got to ha- take an examination from that, right? It, it's a mirror, right? And the, the passage goes on to describe it as a mirror that we look into. And if you look into it and you don't continue according to what you see there, then you're not a doer. You're just a hearer. I mean, we know that whole passage. We know that whole teaching. It's wonderful. But in the middle of that, what is perfect? What is perfect? It says here that the perfect thing that we need to look into is the law of liberty. Are we talking in circles? Is there one law? Are there two laws? One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Are there more? Is the law of Christ and the law of liberty, are those two different separate things? Or are we getting into a lot of... I, I, I want to boil it down to, a, to some, something I, that I find very simple here. Now, you can go and study into the nuances of the language of each one of those little things. But in essence, what we have as we define this is a command of God. I mean, however you designate it, wherever you find it in the Bible, whatever label is placed upon it specifically, we're always talking about a command from God, right? Can we go along with that? All right. These commands, whatever God commands, first of all, do not change in their essence. Whatever they are, they are. It doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. If God's commanded it, it's going to be that way. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see uh, the words of the Lord Jesus about that. Uh, but they don't change. All right, that's one thing. They had been changed in the time that all these things that we're talking about had been written. They had been changed a lot by Judaism. So we can say religion has a tendency to change things sometimes, doesn't it? And sometimes it changes the actual commands that God has given. They're they're much more than just a do a list of do's and don'ts. They're, they're, they include, obviously, instruction. But there's something a little deeper to it, and we're going to try to see that too. And then they, at some point, this law, and here's where I think we get into the difference between the Old Testament law of Moses and coming into whatever the New Testament's actually talking about, the law of Christ, the law of liberty. These things that we saw in the Old Testament, or that they saw in the Old Testament, needed fulfillment, and they needed clarification. 
All right? And so all of this happens. Clarification came from the one who fulfilled the Old Testament law. I'm very dry these days. <laughs> so I'll be drinking a lot. I'm a heavy drinker tonight. Just water, just water. All right. Clarification came. The Old Testament was given. All these other issues happened. Clarification came. All right, let's talk about it a little bit. They don't change. The commands of God do not change in their essence. Not even, not even to be destroyed by anyone. Not even Christ came to destroy the law. Is that correct or not? What do we, what do we find? We find some, some categories here. Uh, and then we're going to go back and look at, at what we're talking about, that these things are not be destroyed. But the law can be broken down into these three categories, a national or civil law. We heard some of that this morning, talking about Israel during their time and what was going on. And we find the ceremonial law, and then we find the moral law. So these three categories are not going to be destroyed, not even by Jesus. However, however, they can be fulfilled. Does that make, it, make, make any sense? Can you see the difference between destroyed and fulfilled? It's different. And that's what happened. The national law. Do we still follow the national laws that God gave to Israel? No, not directly. I mean, we may apply some of, uh, some of that to our present day laws and all of that. That's fine. But we do not. First of all, we don't have a theocracy. That means God running the country. They in theory, did they were supposed to have that. That was the command of God, that God be in control, whether there was a king or not, whether there was a, a prophet or not, whether there was a, 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 a judge or not, God was to be supreme over that nation as a nation. Now, a lot of the laws that were given have to do with them specifically. And so as that nation, and again, you, you, can, you can understand this however you want to, and I don't think it changes what I'm going to say. Uh, as that nation was set aside, okay, uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of the church age, the nation of Israel was set aside as the primary agent of God's working in the world. The church became that, empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. Those laws that were specific to the nation of Israel, those civil laws, they're no longer necessary and they are fulfilled because king jesus has already come you see his, his, his kingdom's not of this earth yet but it's a kingdom nevertheless and it's a very real kingdom and he is the king and he did ascend up into heaven and he did sit down on the throne as the king and so therefore the national civil laws they're not done away with per se. They're gone as far as our practice, but they're fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Then you have the ceremonial laws, of course, and that's, we, we really get into some complications there sometimes, don't we? Should we? Shouldn't we? Whatever, you know. Uh, but anything that was purely ceremonial was also fulfilled in Christ, was it not? Uh, read the book of Hebrews, and I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews over and over and over. It is one of those books that will tie these things together in your mind uh, better than anything else. It is the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in my opinion. And you'll find there how the fulfillment comes about. How that, well, why don't we sacrifice animals anymore? Why don't we observe the uh, dietary laws? Or why don't we? Any of those kinds of things that were ceremonial in nature, they had a purpose. And they were not destroyed. They were fulfilled. Every one of them 
was fulfilled. I shouldn't have gone that far. And then there's the moral law. Now, of course, that one, what do you think? <laughs> Does that still in effect? Yeah. Okay. Come on. It is. Uh, otherwise, what do we have? We have chaos. We have everyone doing that which is right in their own eyes. We don't follow the command of God. But the commands of God are never destroyed, not by anyone. All right, look at Matthew chapter 5. Let me get my glasses out here so I can see. I'm getting old. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 17 and 18 just for the moment. <clears throat> Jesus speaking says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the word abolish or to destroy, as the King James puts it, is, is one of those neat words, too, uh, that comes up in other settings, translated in other ways, and it means to set aside. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't come here to, uh, to say these laws have no value. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to set them aside and say, yeah, that was good for them, but it doesn't matter anymore. It all mattered. And when Jesus walked this earth, he fulfilled every part of the law, didn't he? He fulfilled the national law. He followed the laws that were from God for Israel. Not all the abuses, but he followed all the laws that were given for Israel from God. He also followed the ceremonial laws. We find him doing those things. We find him eating the Passover at, at, at the end of his life. We find him all uh, three Passovers that mark uh, his, the, the years of his ministry. We find him at all of these kinds of things. We find him involved in Jewish life according to the rules and the laws and the commands that God had laid down. He didn't destroy them, but then when he died on the cross, certain things we understand were fulfilled. All right? Here he says, I did not come to set it aside. I did not come to destroy the law. He said to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, jot or a tittle is going to pass from this law of God. It doesn't pass away when it's fulfilled. That's a confusion I think some people get. Well, Jesus died, so now it's gone. Oh, it's more than gone. Now it's fulfilled. Now it's full. It's like the, the, what we saw uh, back a little bit earlier about fulfilling the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Isn't that deeper than just saying, hey, this is a good thing to do. Let's do it. It's actually fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled every law and every commandment and every part of the law of God in every facet. These uh, commands of God, this law, once again, one of its other characteristics here uh, that it does not change in essence is it's eternally true. Now you can look down through uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 and, and you'll recognize some things there that have come to be known as the Beatitudes. Um, I think, I don't want to say it wrong. One commentator wrote a whole series on them, and he used the term be attitudes. These are attitudes that you should be kind of thing. This is a good play on words. But anyway, the Beatitudes are these, is this list of things that Christ said, blessed is the man who does this. Blessed are you if you do these things. These are eternal truths. Now, I know this was during the, the Old Testament time yet. Jesus hadn't died and, and risen yet from the dead. Uh, and so we're still talking in an Old Testament economy. But these are truths that are applicable at any moment, at any time. And that's one of the, one of the truths about God's commands. They don't change in their essence. They may change in their practice and their fulfillment and those kinds of things, but in their essence, they're always the same. So when Jesus said, you're blessed if you do these things, if you're a peacemaker, 
Isn't that the one we really need these days? <laughs> huh? Isn't that, it, I, I'm, I feel like it is. I feel like we, we live in a, a time where everybody's just kind of at every, each, other, each other's throats. Hopefully not here in our church. But just in general, that people seem to be just on edge. And uh, you see it in politics, you see it, you see it in, in the workplace, you see it everywhere you go. The people are just on edge. And they're just ready to jump and they're just ready to devour. And the Bible, Jesus, tells us very clearly that if you want to be a blessed person, one of the things you can do is be a peacemaker. There's, there's a whole list there. Good stuff. These things don't change. These are eternal truths. We also find that the commands of God are the measure of God's reward. If you look down in verse number 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does them and teaches them will be called great in that kingdom. Jesus had a lot to say about who's great and who's not so great. Didn't he? That was a pretty, pretty much a common theme with him. Because Why? Because people were always trying to be great. Trying to be on top, trying to be number one, numero uno, you know, trying, everybody's trying to do that. And Jesus said here, interesting, not just the commands. He said, go down to the, go down to the least, the one that you might consider to have the least importance of all of them. Go to that one. That's where you need to start making your comparison. Don't worry about the big ones. All right. if, if, If you're not doing the little ones already then you're already out of it i mean you've already lost reward you're already in the in the wrong place that's what he says isn't it the least of the command now are there different varieties of commandments i mean there must be in some sense right there have to be in some sense as 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 jesus is talking about it here can i completely can i give you a list and prioritize them probably not but you you probably have a pretty good understanding you know, and most of us would have to say that we're not gonna we're not gonna break the big ones. We're not gonna you go to the Ten Commandments and the only one we're probably gonna break is the Sabbath, and everything else we're okay. You know? We're doing okay. But then you bring it down to and we're gonna talk a little bit about this, you bring it down to, to where you get down to these least commandments, the little things, the details. God's Concerned about those as well. And, he's, and this is part of the essence of what the commands are. They had been changed by Judaism in the same chapter here. He says, if, he says look, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, those scribes and Pharisees, you're in bad shape. You know, you are, you forget it. If you don't have more rights, these are the guys though. These are the guys that were looked at as the religious people. I mean, they had religion going on. You got to admit, I mean, they had all kinds of symbols and not like over there, but all kinds of symbolism going. And they had, they had all the, all the trappings and, and the right clothes. And I mean, they looked good. They looked religious. They got people's attention. Look at me. I'm religious. <laughs> But they changed the law of God. Yikes. And Jesus had to address that. They were not righteous because he said, if you don't have more than them, you're in bad shape. Well, what did they have? They had the law. Was that not enough? Hmm. They missed the point is the question. They missed the whole point. They were keeping the letter of the law and forgetting all about what it really meant. They were doing all the do's and don'ts. 
And thinking that that made them better and more righteous than anybody else. But 2 Corinthians tells us this, who also made us able ministers of, a new, of the New Testament, not the letter. <laughs> this one's not about the letter as much. Obviously, the letter matters. But it's the Spirit. If you have the Spirit without the letter, well, you probably have some confusion going on. But if you have the letter without the Spirit, you're dead. You're just dead in your life because it says a letter kills. If you don't have the spirit to go along with these do's and don'ts, if you don't have what it really means and where it's trying to lead you, then it's not of any good. And that's where these, these Pharisees and these religious guys were. They were, living, they were living the life. I mean, they had it, they had it going on. They were, like, they were like a boat with barnacles. Do you even know what that means? I lived over in the ocean for a long time, island living, right? And I had a friend over there who had, I had several friends with boats, but one of them had a pretty good sized boat. And he would have to dry dock that thing about once a year and scrape the barnacles off. And he enlisted me to help him sometimes. That was not fun. But the barnacles are just, they're creatures and they latch on. But after a while, you get so much accumulation of them as you go. They, they, they slow you down and they, they cause you not to cut through the water as well as you should. I mean, you're still in the boat. The boat's still kind of going, but it starts chugging along. And you need to scrape them things off. And that's what Jesus is basically telling the, the Pharisees and telling people listening to him on the sermon there. That, look, you know, you need to scrape some stuff off. Forget all that trapping. Forget all these dumb rules and regulations that have been added by men. Get back to what it really means. It doesn't change in its essence. It had been changed by Judaism, unfortunately. It's much more than a list of do's and don'ts. And it needed a full fulfillment and a clarification. And Jesus came to do that. There in the, in the passage as well, he goes on to say, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. Now, some people say, see, we don't even have to worry about the Old Testament law at all, even the moral part, because that's all been done away with. That's not what he was saying. He already said you need more righteousness than the Pharisees and the scribes. He didn't say you need a different righteousness. You need more righteousness than they have. You need to understand what really means and practice what it really means. He said, you've heard, for example, don't kill. Don't commit murder, right? He said, I'm telling you that there's more to it. Now, he didn't, he didn't say go ahead and kill. I mean, this is where people get kind of, kind of dumb in their, in their interpretation somehow. But it seems, seems like some people do. They want to throw the law out completely. Oh, we're not under law at all. <sighs> okay, but. <laughs> so I can just go kill people as long as I don't hate them. Is that what you're going to tell me? Jesus said if you hate them, you've already killed them. I mean, you already committed murder in your heart. So, okay, I won't kill anybody. Wait. I can kill them, but I can't hate them. Uh, you can't go there. He's not, he's not destroying the law. He's not setting it aside. He's not abrogating the law. He's fulfilling it and he's explaining it. And he's saying, this is why you have this law. Because it's a hard issue. If you can go and just murder somebody, there's something seriously wrong deep down in your heart. Let me tell you, let me add a little something to it to help you understand. Let me clarify this for you just a little bit. If you hate your brother, that's just as bad as if you had killed somebody. If you'd murdered somebody. It's all down here in the heart. And that's what Jesus did when he fulfilled it and when he clarified it as he brought it home to heart issues. And you can read through all of those. They're there. It's not a destruction of law. But the full reality, the fulfillment of the true law of God. So back to this verse. 
Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you go to the context in Galatians chapter 6, you find that the first verse is talking about if someone is found in a fault, right? If someone is, is caught in sin. Now, we, 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 we do want to bear one another's burdens, okay? We want to help people no matter what their burden is, whatever it is. We want to be that person. <laughs> we want to help them out. We want to lift them up. We want to, and people do that around here, and it's wonderful. Y'all are just a, just a, a, a joy to be around, I got to tell you. My wife and I have some issues sometimes, and people just, boom, they just kill us with love. <laughs> I, I got more food in my freezer than I ever eat. People just keep piling it on. Thank you. That's great. But this verse is tech talking about something a little farther along than that even. It says somebody's found in a fault. Somebody's caught in a sin. Somebody has fallen. God forbid that you should fall. And God forbid that you should fall amongst most <laughs> biblical type churches that I know of. Because I've seen that recently too. Oh my. I've seen some people fall. Sin. Sometimes sin, sometimes accused of sin wrongly, whatever. But here's the issue. I'm going to tell you. And I'm talking about churches of our stripe, if I may say it that way. And I'm talking about individuals like us in our beliefs. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I've not seen a lot of burden bearing in some of those situations. I have not seen too much of people coming along and saying, that's rough, isn't it? That's terrible. I'm so sorry that the devil got the best of you there. How can I help you come along with this? How can I help you get up on your feet again? What I've seen is condemnation, judgment. That's not using the law, people. That's abusing the law. The law of Christ is to bear burdens and specifically this burden of someone has fallen into sin and it says be careful when you when you get there be careful because you're susceptible to the same thing you might as well just know whatever he did whatever she did you could do it too now that might help you bear their burden you know, if you remember that, if you see it that way, I might just encourage you, like, if I was there, what would I need? What would I want? Would I need somebody beating me over the head with the law of God? I'm not saying they don't need to hear it. <laughs> but how are you bearing up someone's burden? Bearing another person's burden? That doesn't sound like condemnation and put down to me. It just doesn't. The context is that. Certainly, we should bear one another's burdens in every sense. But the context is specific here. Back to James. You look in there. Man, the Bible is... Folks, I'm telling you, the Bible is the perfect law of liberty. We get scared of law sometimes. Oh, there's a policeman. I might get in trouble. You ever seen people slow down when they're already under the speed limit just because there's a policeman? Drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm like, we're doing five miles under the speed limit. Why did you hit the brakes? It's an automatic reaction because we're scared of the law, right? 
But you're already using the law, to use Alex's term. You're already doing it. What's the problem? Hey, hey, you know what? You have liberty to do that. Why don't you just enjoy the liberty you have? Instead of sitting back worrying about the law, God's going to clobber me. Keep the law. Obey the law. Folks, let's use the law. Use the law of liberty. Let's take the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and step out there and bear burdens of those who are hurting and need our help, those who've fallen and need a, a hand to come up again. Let's, let's, let's be there for each other. We have the freedom to do that. You stop at the red light because the law says you have to stop, but then you have the freedom to step out there and go on. And that's the way God's law is as well. Look into that perfect law of liberty. What does it really say? Is it just do's and don'ts and condemnation? And wait a minute, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. That was done. Was it condemned? Yeah, it was condemned because Christ died on the cross with your sin and with my sin and with the sins of the whole world on him, and it was condemned. In him, that was fulfilled, you see. Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree, the Old Testament says. He already did it. He already did it. He hung on that tree. You don't have to do it. If you're here tonight and you don't understand what I'm talking about, let me just explain it really briefly. Every one of us is a sinner. And the Bible says there's a curse on us. Cursed is The Bible says in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone that is, does not keep every one of God's commandments. You are obligated to keep every one of his commandments in order to be right with God. Can you do that? No, you can't. So someone did it for you. His name was Jesus Christ, and he walked this earth as the God-man. He walked this earth living a perfect life as only God could in human flesh. And then he went to the cross of Calvary and he took your sins and my sins upon himself. And he accepted your condemnation and my condemnation as he died on the cross. Such a condemnation that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The weight of the sin and the, and the desperation of the situation of your sin and my sin on him caused a separation momentarily between God the Father and God the Son. And he did that so that you could live a life without condemnation, so that you could not be abused by the law, that you could not be crushed by the law, but that you could use the law. You could accept the perfect law of liberty. And step out and do those things which God will enable you to do because he'll give you his Holy Spirit. And he'll give you the power to do everything that he commands you to do. Are you using the law? That's the question tonight. As I said, Romans 7, if you want to get a, get a head, head up on that, a little leg up on, on the study that's coming. I'm not sure exactly when Pastor Burgraff's going to preach on Romans 7, but it won't be long, (laughs) where it says, should we just go ahead and send some more, paraphrasing, so that grace can abound. I mean, where sin came, then grace abounded. More sin, more grace, because we needed it. And then he says, well, some would say, let's just send more. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the law of liberty. He said, God forbid, (laughs) No, 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 no. You don't understand. You're sounding like a Pharisee. You're sounding like one of those religious leaders. 
You're just doing and not doing and, and bragging about it and, and puffing yourself up like you're something. When in reality, you have the freedom to serve God in every way that he would have you do it. I hope it's been some help to you tonight, some encouragement. Thank you for your attention. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll pray and we'll let you go. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. What a wonderful thing it is.